भद्रम कर्णे शृणुयाम देवा भद्रम पश्येमाक्षिजत्रिंगयुष्टवागुंसस्तनु व्यशेम देवित यदायु स्वस्ति न इंद्रो वृद्धश्रवा स्वस्ति नूषा विश्वेदा स्वस्ति नस्ताक्ष्यो अरिष्टनेमी स्वस्ति नो बृहस्पतिर्दा ओं शाति 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 सो वी वेर स्टडिंग दि फोर्थ एंड लास्ट चैप्टर ऑफ दि मांडुक्य कारिका Uh, in the this final chapter called alata shanti prakaranam gaurapada is um, taking on several other philosophies now why is he doing that why is he picking a fight with all these other philosophers the reason is that um, in the previous chapter in advaita prakaranam he has made a very remarkable claim stunning claim that this universe which we are looking at he is saying it has not originated at all non origination ajatavada that's the uh, one uh, hallmark standard feature of uh, gaurapada's advaita vedanta he says that this universe has not originated at all now this puts him at odds with every other philosopher uh, in in his time even down till today because all of them say that there is this universe and once you say that the universe is there it seems very obvious you must you have to explain it how did it come explanation basically means giving a cause explanation is answering the question why and why basically means that you have to give a cause the answer to the question why is usually a cause we say if somebody asks why the our answer usually begins with because you know why is the grass wet because it rained or because the sprinklers went off so a cause why is this universe there how does this universe come about this is a standard question all through the ages and all the philosophers uh, uh, schools of thought during gaurapada's time and down to our time try to explain this and gaurapada has to show that they are all wrong because according to him see that because again uh, because according to him the these schools uh, they they are wrong because they do not um what they are trying to explain does not exist the universe itself did not uh, originate uh, that's that's gaurapada's point of view so he has to show that they are wrong and remember how does he do that uh, his way is is rather unique because he takes up the arguments of those philosophers and shows that they cancel each other out um uh, mutually and so they um he does not have to show them that they are wrong individually they cancel each other out mutually and gaurapada's claim is so the end result is his position non origination of the universe ajativada that is uh, that is the outcome the logical implication so already he has shown that uh, or at least he has attacked the two major schools of causality two major schools of philosophy in ancient india the nyaya vaisheshika school and the sankhya school each has its own theory of causality the asatkaryavada and the satkaryavada which we saw in the last few classes and gaurapada uh, has refuted them or he has used their mutual refutations to good effect today 
we will go on to verse number 14 um, verse number 14 uh, there so from verse number 14 onwards for about the next 10 verses or so uh, for the next 10 verses Gaudapada will take up a major strand of Indian thought karma karma is so central to Indian thought not just Vedanta mm, but all these schools of Hindu philosophy, Nyaya, Vaisheshika, Sankhya, Yoga, Mimamsa especially, but also the um, non-Hindu schools, the Buddhists, all schools of Buddhism, all schools of Jainism, down to, say, for example, Sikhism, all schools of Indian thought accept uh, karma. And Gaurapada smashes the entire idea, the, the rationale behind karma. He holds karma to be illogical, unreasonable, and he will proceed to show that. So, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's shocking because in Vedanta, you learn about karma in Vedanta. And here is Gaurapada, the Advaitin, non-dualist, who is going to show that, uh, that ultimately karma does not stand. It's illogical, unreasonable, and has to be abandoned. So, this is what's going to happen now. Karma is so pervasive in Indian thought. Swami Vivekananda, when he gave a talk on the a common basis of Hinduism. So one of the things he said which is common to all schools of Hinduism is karma, is belief in, in, in karma. Um, not only is it common to all the different schools of Hinduism, so much difference between the different schools of Hinduism, vast spectrum of thought, but they all hold on to this karma and reincarnation and karma and reincarnation are closely tied together. Um, so birth, rebirth, cycle of birth and death, all fueled by, powered by karma. And not only all across Hinduism, but also other schools of thought. For example, something like Buddhism, which is so vastly different from um, most schools of Hinduism. So, Buddhists don't believe in God. Buddhists don't even believe in a permanent soul. But they did. All schools of Buddhism, without exception, believed in karma. They had their own theory of karma. Each of these schools has, a, has its own brand, its own flavor of the karma, karma theory. The Jains have a very developed theory of karma. Um, so all of them, even the Buddhists who do not believe in um, God, they do not believe in a permanent soul, but they hold on to uh, karma and reincarnation. That's there. Uh, so, this is what Gaudapada is going to smash in the next few verses. He's going to show that it doesn't work. Before I go into the verses, see the verses themselves are, the, the Sanskrit is a little old and uh, Gaudapada's argument is a little, um, I would say it's, it's sort of wandering all over the place. It's good to put all the arguments together and give a concise statement of what's going to happen before we go into the verses. So, I'll just put it together. The way I will explain it now is not uh, in the same sequence as Gaudapada does it, um, what, what will happen in the verses, but it's easier to understand. The way I will put it now, just sequent, I, I'll just put together the basic idea of karma and Gaudapada's argument against it. So, what is the idea of this law of karma? What, what is it that in general people and especially in Vedanta and in, in Hindu schools, what do we believe in 
and why is Gaudapada against it? So it, here goes. The law of karma, even I've given little talks about it sometimes, the law of karma and, and Gaudapada has objections to all of that. So what is this uh, law of, of um, karma? Basically it is causality, cause and effect, something leading to something else. Um, the idea is that if we consciously do what we know to be good, um, in a very general sense, if we do dharma, what, what we um, know to be right, morally, ethically right, if we consciously do that, then that leads to merit. Merit, uh, the Sanskrit word is punyam. And that merit gives rise to uh, pleasant experiences, happy experiences later on in, in lives to come. That, those happy experiences are called in Sanskrit Sukha. So the chain is, if you do Dharma, the result, result will be uh, Punya and that Punya will fructify, give rise to uh, Sukha. Dharma, Punya, Sukha. In English, moral action, merit, pleasant results, a good life, pleasant life, your wishes will be fulfilled. Uh, the opposite also holds. Consciously done immoral action, adharma, unethical action, leads to papa. Papa is demerit or sin. And that results in, in future lives to come, suffering, dukkha. So the chain is adharma, papa, dukkha. So the, this is in sum the whole idea of, of uh, karma. Karma is action. The word karma literally means action and also the result of action. Karma phala is also meant by karma. When we say it is my karma, what we mean is not that it's my action, it's the result of my past actions. Or oh, why am I suffering? Oh, it's my karma. Or when we say you're in America also now the word has become popular. It is good karma. Do this. It's good karma. Which, what, what it means is it will lead to uh, punyam, merit and sukha. It will give rise to good things for you in future in life. So the word karma has this double meaning. The action itself and the result of that action. The result of that action can be merit or demerit. And the result of that merit or demerit will be pleasant or unpleasant things in this or next life to come. Swami Vivekananda put it uh, in brief in his um, poem. Um, good, good bad, bad, and none escape the law. But, but whosoever wears a form, wears the chain too. So good means good action, dharma, and the result is sukha, pleasant results. So dharma leads to sukha, good, good. Bad, bad action, immoral, unethical action, adharma, leading to bad means suffering, dukkha. And none escape the law. So this is the law in which we all sentient beings are bound. And then he says, whoever wears a form, wears the chain too. Form, wears a form means, we the formless Atman, we have a form, body-mind, this, this body-mind. And this body-mind is a chain. What does it mean? It's uh, produced by our past karma. So what happens is, as we go from lifetime to lifetime, when one body dies, the next body is born because of my particular past karma. And that past karma results in this body, my parents, my health, my success, and things which will major events in my life, 
all those are determined or predetermined by my past karma. So this is a general idea. So and uh, it's a big idea in uh, Indian thought. Um, and it's very interesting that nobody really doubts it. It's taken axiomatically in, in Indian thought. And well, it might be because it's based on causality, cause and effect, which is basically what we mean by rationality. If you think about logic or rationality or reason, um, it's basically causality, cause and effect. Okay, what could Gaudapada possibly have against it? A lot as it turns out. He says, so the basic idea is karma gives rise to this body and with this body, which means also the senses and the mind which is active in this body, body-mind complex. With this body-mind complex, I act in this world, act and react. Things happen to me because of my past karma and I react to them and I do good things, bad things. And this sets up good and bad karma, that is Papa Punya for future results. Now he asks the question, first he asks the question, what is first? You might reasonably ask, what, what comes first, body or karma? And if the answer is karma, it is karma which was existing earlier and produced this body. But then immediately he asks, Gaurapada's question is, if karma was there earlier, what produced that karma? Because karma is produced by body. You have a body and you act in this world and therefore produce karma. So how did that karma come? Immediately the opponent sort of backpedals and says, no, 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 there was a body and you existed in another body and then you did that karma. The question is immediately, the question will be, how did that body come then? How did that body come? Was there karma before that? The opponent tries another track. He says, look, karma produces the body, that means a birth and this body. And you do karma with this body and that produces more karma and so on. So let's say karma and body, they, they are cause and effect, they mutually produce each other. Karma produces body, body produces karma. Uh, that's what I mean. And he says that's not possible because cause and effect, uh, to be a cause, it has to be uh, precedent. It has to exist before the effect. Uh, if, they, if, it, uh, uh, if the karma produced the body, that body cannot produce the karma because the body did not exist to produce that karma. To produce something, you must exist before it. Cause and effect. The cause must exist before the effect. If you are saying that karma produced the body and body produced the karma, then the body has to exist before the karma, but that's not possible. They cannot mutually produce each other um, because causation is sequential. The cause must exist before the effect. Is this okay? This, 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 um, yeah. Then the opponent says, no, 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 no. What I mean is, um, let both be produced simultaneously. Karma and um, body are both produced together. And Gaurapada says, we will see those verses. That won't work either. Karma, if they are simultaneous, there will be no relationship between them. Yeah. To uh, have a relationship of cause and effect, the cause must exist before the effect. If the two are together, he will say, like the two horns of a, of a cow, they one on the left and one on the right. Shankaracharya says, one on the left and one on the right. How will one produce the other? They are both sort of simultaneous. So simultaneous cause and effect, simultaneous body and mind, 
a simultaneous karma and body cannot be relate, related as cause and effect. That relation won't exist unless one precedes the other. Then the opponent says, see none of this is really the theory of karma which is, held, which is propounded by the dualistic schools of Hinduism or even Buddhism. We are just building up to the final theory which is actually what Gaudapada is going to attack. But we are just sort of, you can see, we are making the theory more and more sophisticated. No, no, it's not mutual. It's not simultaneous. You know, simultaneous, you might say, some, some schools, they, they say something like simultaneous because they say, how about we say, God started up the whole thing. Like your dad might give you a shop and some money to go with it and then you start your business. So, the, so if you ask, how did this business start? It came from my father. My father gave me the shop, the body and some money, karma. And then I started the business. Um, can't we say God gave us the body and karma? He started us off. But then if God gave us the body and karma, it means that he gave different bodies and different karma to different um, sentient beings. Then good and bad will be God's responsibility. God will become partial. Karma will belong to God then. And that is something no, no religion will be willing to accept, that God is partial. That means God becomes responsible for evil. Um, so that will not work. It's not simultaneous. Then the opponent says, look, you're just quibbling over words. What I want to say is that it's a chain. Karma produces the body. The body produces more karma. And that's, uh, that new karma produces a future body and that future body you will do more karma and that will produce future karma and so on it goes. It's a chain. Karma leading to body, body leading to karma. Body means a new birth. Leading to new karma, karma leading to new body and so on. It's a chain. Won't work. Gaudapada asks, what is at the beginning of the chain? A body or karma? What is the first link in the chain? And we'll be back to the same old problem. If you say it's karma, how did that karma come? What body was there? If you say no, it was a body, then how did that? How was that body produced? Because you say all bodies are produced by karma. So chain will not work because there is a problem of beginning, the first link of the chain, and you can't answer that. Now comes the final form of the law of karma, which is what actually the dualistic schools uh, in Hinduism they propound, and um, that final form is. It's a beginningless chain. It's not that karma was at the beginning or body was at the beginning, nor are they simultaneous, nor are they mutually producing each other, nor is it just a chain, but it's a beginningless chain. Anadi karma pravaha. So, there is no beginning to this chain. From infinite time, um, it, was, it was going on beginninglessly, this chain of karma is proceeding. Now, Mr. Gaudapada, do you have any problem? Is this all right? Or are you going to pester us with more, more uh, questions? Gaurapada says, that sounds interesting. Let's take a look at what you just said. Beginningless chain of karma. Yeah. So, body and um, karma chain. And anadi, beginningless. Beginningless body karma chain. This is what you are saying? Yes. This is what we want to say. And God is in charge of all of it. Some schools will say. Some schools say that there is no God. 
But all these schools, Sankhya, Nyaya, or even the non-Hindu schools, the Jainas, the Buddhists, they all agree something like this is going on, a beginningless chain of karma. Gaurapada says, now look at the words you have used, beginningless, anadi, body, karma, chain. Which one of this, this, these three, body, karma, chain, is beginningless? You are saying beginningless qualifies body, karma, chain. Is it a beginningless body? Impossible. Is it a beginningless karma? Impossible. Is it a beginningless chain? Said, yeah, that's what I mean. But a chain cannot exist without the body or the karma. The chain is just a concept. The links are made of karma and the body. What is beginningless there? So, uh, this is the general attack that Gaudapada sets up on karma. What is happening here? You see, when you say this, um, when Gaudapada says this, we, we are puzzled. Doesn't Vedanta itself teach karma? That there is a cause and um, good karma, bad karma, uh, all of this doesn't Vedanta teach? Isn't, it, isn't there karma yoga, for example, a big part of Vedanta teaching? So what is Gaudapada denying here? Why is he against all of this? What Gaudapada is saying is that there is no reality called karma. It's like if you watch a Harry Potter movie or a book, read a Harry Potter book and you say, why did poor Harry Potter suffer so much? And if the answer is, because of his past karma. Well, that's not really true. What is true? The real answer is there is no Harry Potter. There is These things did not happen and the sufferings of Harry Potter also did not happen. It's fiction. It's a novel or it's a cinema. It appears. If you see a cinema, you, all the events are seen. You can actually see Harry Potter. All of those things are seen. But you're also aware none of this is true. So the explanation that it is all because of Harry Potter's past life karma is not true. Because it did not happen. There is no origination of any entity called Harry Potter. There is no origination of any suf real suffering of an entity called Harry Potter. And so it requires no explanation. There is no uh, real causation called karma which will explain Harry Potter's suffering. This is what Gaudapada wants to say. What about false karma? Karma as an appearance. That Gaudapada has no objection to. Shankaracharya will bring that forward to explain. See, we have a world which we experience. Now, it may be a false world. That's what Gaudapada wants to say. It, 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 there is no real origination of this world. But if you persist and say, we still experience it. And then, if to explain this apparent experience, which it does not exist and yet we experience it, for that, if you want to say that there is karma, let's take, a, let's take an um, apparent explanation for an apparent phenomenon. We are not saying that karma is ultimately real. It is part of maya. Because of maya, there is desire. Uh, avidya kama karma, Shankaracharya's favorite phrase. Avidya kama karma. Avidya means ignorance, ignorance of our real nature. Because we are ignorant of our real nature, we see this body and mind appearing products of maya and we get identified with it, we feel incomplete, apurnam and we strive for completion where? Within the world of appearance, which is never possible. Because what is complete? Our real nature, which we are unaware of. And when we strive for completion in this world of maya, by desire, by trying to fulfill desires, that, that is, the desire is kama, it's born of um, lack of fulfillment, apurnam, incompleteness. When we try to complete ourselves, try to get fulfillment through karma, um, 
the cycle of birth and death starts. If you want to say that the, at this apparent level, at the level of Maya there is karma, Gaudapada will not have any objection. He is not talking about that. That is what actually in Advaita Vedanta when you talk about karma, let us remember all this, the idea of karma in Advaita Vedanta is what is called the Vyavaharika level, the transactional level, the level of appearance, level of Harry Potter movie. At that level, Advaita accepts karma. If you accept the world, then you want an explanation, then Advaita will give you a provisional explanation. The provisional explanation is karma. How is it different from all the other schools? For all the other schools, karma is real. The world is real and karma is a real explanation. So, what is Gaudapada's final arguments against this, you know, the final form, the beginningless chain of karma? He says it does not stand. Not only that, that grammatical argument, you might not be convinced by that beginningless chain. So, beginningless, what is beginningless? Body is beginningless, karma is beginningless or chain is beginningless. That argument we can set aside. But there is a more powerful argument which Gaudapada gives. If you say that there is real karma and it is beginningless, is it endless? Is it endless? The chain, karma, karma leading to body, body leading to karma and life after life after life, is it endless? If you say it is endless, then there is no moksha, no mukti, no liberation possible. So, we might as well live, leave this class. Why did you leave it till the fourth chapter of the Mandukya to say such things? We could have stopped the class from the very beginning. No, it has an end. It has an end. If you say it has an end, Gaudapada will say even more serious problem. Serious problem. Though he does not discuss this here, elsewhere. The serious problem is this. That I have karma and somehow by my spiritual practices, Vedanta or by the grace of God, finally karma is at an, an end. Karma is over. This is my last life and now I am going to be free. After this point, freedom starts. Moksha starts. Till this point, bondage, samsara, karma. From this point onwards, moksha will start. If you say like that, and that's how most of the dualistic schools imagine moksha to be, liberation to be. That we are in bondage really, and we really will get freedom by the grace of God. If you, that's what you are saying, you are in for serious trouble. Because a moksha which begins, which is produced, which originates, will come to an end. It is quite possible that anything that is born will die. Jatasya dhruvo mrityu. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, that which is born is bound to die. That which is produced is bound to be destroyed. That which is created will come to an end. If moksha comes to an end, what is the point? How is moksha any better than samsara? Do you see the, the problem? That if we are really bound by karma, there is really karma and we are bound by karma and we are going through a chain of birth and death, and one day karma will, if it does not come to an end, that is the end of all spirituality. Then it will just, there is no escape. But if it does come to an end, it is real, but it will really come to an end. And we will get a real moksha which will start after karma comes to an end. Then that is also illogical. The moksha which starts will also end. It is quite possible. If that moksha was not there earlier, then it is quite possible that one day it will not be there again. What is illogical about it? You might ask, then what do you non-dualists, Advaitins, what does Gaudapada say? He is also talking about moksha. Isn't it that uh, after realizing your turiya, you will get moksha? 
Uh, isn't that what Gaudapada is saying? Isn't that what Mandukya is saying? The same problem will apply to you. You are in bondage. After you realize that I am the Thuriyam, I am Brahman. Once you realize that, if you attend sufficient number of Mandukya Upanishad classes, then you will get enlightenment and then you will be free. Same problem will be there. Your freedom is also subject to this uh, coming and going. Gaurapada says, no, no, no. Turiyam, the very nature of Turiyam is freedom. Turiyam is not bound. The Atman, Brahman is never bound by karma because karma never existed. So, Atman or Brahman is ever free. What Jnana, knowledge, what the Mandukya class will do is introduce you to this fact of your ever free nature. Moksha is ever established. In Advaita Vedanta, Moksha is not gained. You are already free. That's the very nature of the Atman. In fact, Swami Vivekananda says this again and again in a lecture which I will talk about this Sunday. There is a lecture he gave in London called Freedom, Freedom of the Soul. So There he says, freedom of the soul is not to be gained. It's, it's our very nature because the option that freedom is to be gained leads to illogical, uh, logical problems. That freedom which is gained can be lost. If it was truly ever lost, then it can again be lost. So, what is lost by Ajnana? Here is the principle. What is lost by ignorance is never really lost. What is gained by knowledge was already there. What is gained by knowledge was already there. You just didn't know it. What is lost by ignorance was never really lost. So, for example, if I'm looking for uh, a, my pen and uh, I, I have it in my pocket, but I don't know it, I'm looking for it. So my, I say my pen is lost, but it's because of ignorance. But the pen is already, it's still there, it's already in the pocket. So when I say it's lost, even at that point, it's not really lost. It's just lost by ignorance. I don't know. And when I see it, oh, I got my pen. Did I really get it? No, it was already there. I just knew. I just came to the knowledge that here is the pen. Similarly, moksha is not lost. Moksha is not gained. You just we are just under the delusion that we are in, moksha, uh, in, in bondage and we get the knowledge that we are not in bondage. And the ever-existing moksha, which is the very nature of Turiya, of our Atman, is revealed to us. Um, I'll take the questions before we go on. Um, yes, so, so the moksha, moksha is the very nature of, uh, of the self. Uh, it is not born, it is not... Another way of saying this, a philosophical way of saying this is, the self is never caught in cause and effect. Causality is of the nature of bondage. And what Gaudapada, if you see it philosophically, what he is doing is, the self is free of causality. The self is the only reality and it is free of causality. That is what he is trying to show in this chapter. Um, remember that verse, I think in the second chapter, I, mentioned, I called it, a, I gave a talk on it, the ultimate truth. There is nobody in bondage, nobody doing sadhana to get out of uh, bondage, there is no uh, bondage, there is no freedom, there is nobody who is, uh, there is no one who is free. What does it mean? It means, and then he says, Esha Paramarthata, this is the ultimate truth. This is exactly what he is trying to show now. It's not that there is a real bondage and then somebody really does spiritual practice and then somebody really gets a new thing called moksha. No. But does that mean moksha is not there? It is there. It is the only reality. That's always what has always been there. Okay. So this is his basic attack on karma. 
uh, I can see um, Shashank, are there, there's one question, I think. There's a question from Ramya. Yes. Yes, uh, Pranam Swamiji. So you kind of touched upon the actual question that I had. So where he talks about dismissing the sadhana required for uh, moksha sadhana or uh, removal of agnana. So if he does not even recognize that there is a need to obtain moksha because it was never lost, huh. then obviously then there is no need for sadhana also. Um, yes. That, that there is sadhana <laughs> cannot be denied. So what is the position that he gives to sadhana? Right. So that's why I remember uh, this is the highest Advaita. Let us say that the uh, beyond this there is only silence. Or beyond this at the most you can say there is only Ashtavakra beyond which there is only silence. So um, this is the view from the, from the Everest. And it's an uncomfortable and scary view. But one must be very careful, if you are standing on the tip of uh, Mount Everest, there is every chance of tumbling to your doom. So, it is not that he is against sadhana. He himself will mention, he has mentioned it in the se second and third chapters also at the end. The need for uh, morals, meditation, things like that. So, in Gaurapada's view, what is the problem then? The problem is ignorance, the delusion that we are not free. Then what, what can sadhana, between spiritual practice, what can spiritual practice do? Spiritual practice, get this, spiritual practice is only for removing the delusion that you are not free. Here one has to be honest. Do you, have you understood what Gaurapada is trying to say? Yes, I have understood it. So do you think you are free of delusion? If you can say honestly to yourself, yes, then all right. Then the question of spiritual practice does not arise for you at all. If you you are actually already a Jivan Mukta, then you are you have moksha. You are your very nature is moksha. But if you say that, I get it, but I am beset with so many problems. At moment to moment, I get caught up in identification with body mind, and I react to the world as body mind, as a person. I feel that the world is real, and I react to it as such. I do, I do feel that there is a difference between waking and dreaming. I consider the waking to be much more real than the dreaming. And I react like that as an individual to other individuals. All of these are signs that delusion, Ajnana is still there. So, ignorance which is in the mind is removed by knowledge which is in the mind. Even from, from the Turiya point of view, even knowledge is also not important. That means it is Advaitic knowledge. Because does Turiya need Advaitic knowledge? Does Turiya need a le lesson in a, a Mandukya Karika? No. From the Turiya perspective, even the knowledge is also not necessary. But what, when is the knowledge necessary? When I complain, I have ignorance. Then the prescription will be knowledge. Then when I complain, I am getting this knowledge, I have been attending so many of your classes, but still I have got ignorance, it is not working, I have so many problems. Then the problem is, mind is not able to get that knowledge, able to absorb that knowledge. So the, that scattered mind, the, the uh, sadhana for, for curing that is meditation. Then when you complain, I try meditation, but I feel sleepy or I feel distracted, I feel restless, then for that, Impure mind, uh, the sadhana is um, karma yoga. So, karma yoga purifies the impure mind, 
with the pure mind when you meditate the distractions are removed and so focused and concentrated mind with a pure and focused mind when we take up this sadhana of jnana yoga then the knowledge flashes aham brahmasmi i am brahman or i am the turiya and it becomes absolutely clear ignorance is removed all this is in the mind all this is in the mind turiya has nothing to do with it uh, except that of course it reveals all of it and gives existence to it once this is done you say that yes i don't need sadhana i am brahman what sadhana do i need at that stage you will be able to sing like shankaracharya na dharma na chartha na kamo na moksha chidananda roopah shivoham shivoham look he says na moksha i don't need moksha also because as chidananda roopah shivoham as bliss existence consciousness and of the nature of shiva does shiva need moksha no Uh, your very nature because its very nature is moksha at that level no more sadhana is necessary the very word sadhana is a means to at- attain what sadhyam the goal if you have a goal to attain that something is remaining to be attained then sadhana will help what is my goal purity of mind then karma yoga is the sadhana there is really impurity and there will be attained purity what is my uh, goal concentration of mind focus of mind there is really scattered restless mind and there will really be a concentrated focused mind now what is my goal i want to realize that i am turiyam so with that mind ready for this knowledge when i go through this i realize i am turiyam and then i realize that it was always this turiyam this impure mind world concentration all of these were part of the maya the delusion which i was under it takes a long time to say these things when it happens it's one instant this way or that way but before that the purification of mind and concentration of mind it's a long long process yeah so it's important to get this idea of sadhana very clear if you say i don't want to do any sadhana anymore the answer will be that sadhana is meant for giving you something are you sure that you don't want anything anymore you don't want a pure is you don't want a pure mind or you don't want a focused mind you don't want enlightenment uh we say no i want enlightenment then you need knowledge knowledge is not working then you need concentration can't focus then you need purity and for all of these sadhana is necessary yes um peter fell i see in the in the chat there's an important remark by from peter uh, isn't gaudapada's refutation of karma a restatement of the early buddhist madhyamaka refutation correct correct so it's not just gaudapada not just advaita vedanta but certain schools of buddhism in its final development who say that karma is to be accepted at a transactional level but at the ultimate level there is no karma so, karma is also shunya empty uh, the madhyamaka buddhism which is the core philosophy of nagarjuna and the core philosophy of tibetan buddhism uh, they also reject karma the argument is little different from godapada's argument but both of them uh, equ- uh, uh, unequivocally without any ambiguity they both the madhyamaka buddhists and the advaita vedantins reject karma restatement of their rejection quite possibly because uh, there's no doubt that a lot of technique and conclusions were taken by godapada were absorbed by godapada from the buddhist philosophers in fact this is one of the things that 
uh, I was studying uh, intensely at uh, last fall at, at Harvard Divinity School. So there was this course called Indo-Tibetan Madhyamaka Buddhism. So this Nagarjuna's Buddhism, Madhyamaka Buddhism, how it developed in India for nearly 800, 900 years, 1000 years. And then it went to Tibet. And then again for nearly 800 or 900 years it developed there. So this, this period of nearly 2000 years of uh, um, literature, first in Sanskrit, then in Tibetan, all translated into incomprehensible English. So that's what, what we were studying uh, there. But, but fascinating. And the professor has spent his entire life studying this uh, Indo-Tibetan Madhyamaka. And he says, you know, when you take a course there, the professors will advertise or push their courses because it's a competitive market. I mean, the students are free to take this course or not take it, take something else. So the professor said to us in the first class that uh, Madhyamaka is, uh, well, it's, it's so great that if once you start doing Madhyamaka, why would you want to do anything else at all? <laughs> So, he really loves that subject. But yes, uh, it's not that uh, all Buddhists accept karma to be real. Madhyamaka Buddhists and Tibetan Buddhists um, take karma to be uh, empty at the level of ultimate truth. So, they say that there are two levels of truth. Paramarthikam and Samritti, what in Sanskrit is, uh, in uh, Advaita Vedanta is called Vavaharika, transactional, uh, there they call it relative truth, Samritti Satyam, the, the Tibetan Buddhists or the Madhyamaka Buddhists. And the ultimate truth taught by the Buddha is called Paramarthika Satyam. And the Buddha taught two truths. So if the ultimate truth is Paramarthika Satyam, whatever it is, so why not go straight there? Exactly like what Gaudapada is saying. Nagarjuna before Gaudapada, about 500 years before Gaudapada, he said, without resorting to the, without resorting to the um, Samritti Satyam, no one attains to the Paramarthika Satyam. Without taking the help of the um, relative truth, you can never realize the ultimate truth. Samritti Manashritya Paramarthikam Nadigamyate. Without resorting to the relative truth, Nobody ever realizes the ultimate truth. Therefore, this relative truth, including sadhana, spiritual practices, including accepting that I have delusion, I have a scattered mind, I have an impure mind, and I want enlightenment, all these things we have to accept and go through the process till one gets it. Yeah, thorn to remove a thorn. Well, welcome to Rick. <laughs> we have a Rick Archer of Buddha at the gas pump fame. So he has joined us. It takes a thorn to remove a thorn. Sri Ramakrishna uses this example again and again. That uh, when a thorn has pricked your flesh, what do you do? You take another thorn and you remove it. You say, no, I call 911. It won't help. Nowadays, 911 is not attending to you. It's only coronavirus patients here in New York. So, uh, you have to take another thorn and remove the thorn from your flesh. Now, will you leave the second thorn in your flesh? Of course not. You'll throw that away once the task is done. Like that. What is the Vyavaharika Satya? Abhijit asking. Abhijit, what, do you want to clarify that? Vyavaharika Satya is this, this, this world we are existing in, the difference between knower, known, and the instrument of knowledge, subject, object, this world of diversity. So you, you just said that one has to attend the 
No, one has to take resort to the Vivarika Satya. So, oh, right sorry. now, yeah, resort means um, samrittim anashritya. Uh, ashraya means taking refuge in. And Nagarjuna's language is very, very beautiful. He says, you take refuge in the uh, transactional truth or the uh, relative truth. What is refuge? Buddham sharanam gachami, I take refuge in the Buddha. Sangham sharanam gachami, I take refuge in the Sangha. And the teaching specially, Dhammam sharanam gachami. So we take refuge in Mandukya Upanishad, in Mandukya Karika. Although it's all at the level of transactional reality. Yeah. Um, somebody else is asking a question? There's a question from Rekhaji. Yes, Rekhaji. Swamiji. Uh, Swamiji, for somebody following the bhakti path, now moksha would be merging into the ishta, the god, and if it is that merging, then at that when one merges into the ishta, oh. doesn't one almost or become the ishta? So I mean, isn't that quite similar to even uh, what we follow in Advaita? Where you know we, the self is really. Uh, yeah. Um, do I see Krishna behind you? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love him. Yeah. So Krishna is looking disapprovingly at Rekhaji. What is she doing? <laughs> Listening to all this atheistic stuff. No, it's quite different actually. The moksha in um, in the dualistic paths. Moksha is not our real nature. It's not that we are actually already free and it's some kind of delusion is there and then we have to overcome the delusion and that's it. No, no, no. You are really in bondage. And what is the nature of that bondage? Karma. This is exactly what Gaudapada is attacking here. And by the grace of the one right behind you, by that grace, we are freed of the bondage of karma. Karma pasha, the, the rope of karma. The Lord frees us. And being free, in most dualistic um, schools, the difference between you and God will still remain. And it's good because you can enjoy the beauty and the, and the joy of being in the presence of God. So five types of moksha will be spoken about, of mukti is spoken about in uh, Vaishnava texts. So there is Alokya. You go to Vaikuntha, the abode of Vishnu and remain with Vishnu. Or Goloka, the abode of Krishna and remain with Krishna. Um, then Samipya. Not only you go there, but you remain close to the Lord. Samipya means closeness, proximity to the Lord. Still, you are different and the Lord is different. Um, then there is even closer degrees of um, proximity. So there is Sayujya. Um, then there is, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, there is also Sarupya. So th these things, you become a part of, you know, someone say you become an ornament on the body of the Lord. So as you can see, it's a very dualistic way of thinking. And Sayujya means like, when you even in, in dualistic thought, when you say I'm one with the Lord, it's a kind of meditation. In the sense, you lose all sense of individual distinction, distinction and only the Lord remains in all the magnificence of the Lord. You just don't think about yourself at all. That's a kind of merging. It's um, like a drop falling in the ocean and uh, being indistinguishable from the ocean. Isn't that what we are talking about in Advaita? Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> there is no merging. Not that I am different from Turiya. Now more Advaita classes I am attending. I have now come to the fourth chapter. Almost totally merged now. Um, earlier I was a little bit merged in Turiya. As we come close to the end of the Mandukya Upanishad getting more and more merged. No. 
you are the Turiya. See, if you had forgotten that you are Rekhaji, I mean, suppose you are dreaming and dreaming of something else, and you wake up, and you realize, oh, I am Rekha. Did you merge in the reality called Rekha? No. You were Rekha all the time, even when you thought you were not. There is nothing more to it than that. Similarly here, you are the Turiya, right now also. You don't merge in the Turiya. Though the language of merging is sometimes used. In Advaitic texts also, language of merging is used. Don't take it as real. When you realize that it's not a rope, it's not a snake, it's a rope. Does the snake merge in the rope? Only figuratively, not really. It was never, a, there's no snake to merge in a rope. But then, I mean, Sri Thakur, you know, he, he really merged into the Divine Mother. And it, at the same true. time, he was, uh, you know, also self-realized. So, true. The, mean, so, remember, that's why I always want to say, you know, what you are saying would be a good question in the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna class, or be a good question in the Bhagavad Gita class, for example. But remember, this is super specialized. Mandukya is super specialized. If you want to talk about the beauties of uh, the valleys of Kashmir or other places in India, but you are standing on the top of Everest, and see where is everything? It's just ice and rock and snow. So the view from here is the highest possible view. There is Turiya and only Turiya. Uh, so, and and it's worthwhile to see that view at least. Even if that is not my path, I always say, if you like this approach, very good, very good, nothing better. But if you're primarily you feel my approach is bhakti, then uh, follow, then listen to this, understand it, and bracket it off. Okay, so this is what Gaudapada says. But you, if you try to match it and mix it with what Krishna is saying in the Gita or Sri Ramakrishna in the Gospel, it will be problematic. Because most of what is said in the Gita or in the Gospel, which is, you know, the Gospel or the Gita, somebody pointed out in an earlier class in Mandukya that they are vast texts. In the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, in the Bhagavad Gita, uh, multiple paths are there. There is devotion, there is meditation, there is morals and ethics, there is karma yoga, and there is also knowledge. This, this Advaitic idea is there. Remember, they are not all the same path. The paths are different, there is no doubt about it. It did lead to the same reality? Yes. But when it leads to the same reality, the perspective that Gaudapada has on it is different from the perspective that a devotee, say Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, might have on it. Because the path itself will give you a particular lens to view it in. Yeah. So it will be very difficult. If you try to bring those things here, what will happen is, Gaudapada will reject 90% of that. Karma, devotion, duality, all of that, bhakti, all of that is simply, uh, he will say, it's who will be devoted to whom? Who will merge with whom? Uh, all of that devotion, practice, merging, um, all of that is in the realm of appearance for Gaurapada. Uh, you have to see that he is speaking from the heights of Turiya. Yes. Thank you. Who else is there? Gitaji. Swamiji. Namaskar. When you um, talked about the Shankara's uh, uh, Nirvana Ashtakam, Nirvana kind of, Shatakam, yeah. Yep, it kind of tells you the highest truth. I mean, yes. there's nothing beyond that. And then when you read about Manisha Panchakam, which is written by same Shankaracharya, yeah. and it starts with somebody who's not recognizing somebody or somebody recognizing somebody as an inferior caste and then trying to um, 
you know, um, kind of create this um, whole Manisha Panchakam. Is there, um, is, uh, do we know what is a timeline, chronological when did Shankaracharya write the first one or the second mm. one? Because it kind of is very, for me, it is hard to believe the same person wrote this. No, no, no. Uh, it is exactly the same thing. What Nirvana Shatakam says and what Manisha Panchakam says is exactly the same thing. Um, when Nirvana Shatakam he says, Na dharmo na chartho na kamo na moksha, chidananda rupaha shivoham shivoham, is the highest perspective. I have no desire for wealth or uh, pleasure or even for dharma or even for moksha because I am of the nature of consciousness, um, bliss. I am the nature of Shiva. What does he say in Manisha Panchakam? Jagrat Swapna Sushuptishu. That consciousness which is shining in waking, dreaming and deep sleep, blazing forth all the time. Ya Brahmadi Pipilikanta Deha Pipilikanta Tanushu Prota Jagat Sakshini. The same consciousness which is from the from the highest God, Brahma, not Brahma, Brahma, Chaturmukha Brahma. From there down to a little tiny ant. In all human beings, animals, gods and demons, everywhere is one consciousness only. And it is Jagat Sakshi. It is the witness of this world. Jagat Sakshini. Saivaham. I am that consciousness. Nadrishya Vastu. Not an object to that consciousness. These objects are like appearances in consciousness. They are not even separate. Nadrishya Vastu. Yasyapi Dridaprajyasti Chet. If somebody has such a realization... Chandala vastu, dvijo vastu. Let that person be a, 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 from a lower caste, a chandala, or be a Brahmin, whatever they are. Guru, who is my guru. This is my realization. What happened was that from the Vyavaharika level, where he was making a distinction, Brahmin, non Brahmin, this distinction he was making, which he must have been used to because of his um, Brahminical background. The Chandala, who was an enlightened person, scolded him. Said, what is this distinction you are telling me to step aside? So what will step aside from what? Body from body. At the level of body, your body is also impure. It's full of all the same blood, flesh, pus, urine, which my body is also full of. Or are you asking consciousness to step aside? Chaitanyam, chaitanyam va chaitanyat. Are you asking consciousness to step aside from consciousness? Impossible. It's one consciousness. Then what is going to step aside from what, according to your own philosophy? And Shankaracharya immediately realizes. So he's already realized, but anyway, it's more like a device for teaching us. Yeah. And the message of Manisha Panchakam, message of Nirvana Shatakam are exactly the same. Yes. No, I was just wondering the way it started when he didn't recognize the chandal. So that was a... Um... Yeah. See, the, that is what you call the Vyavaharika Jagat, transactional world. In the transactional world, all Jivan Muktas and Avataras, you will find, there is not neat and geometrical. Always everybody will be in Samadhi. No. That's what makes spiritual life so interesting and makes life itself so interesting. If you look at Ramayana, if you look at Mahabharata, till today people will find, especially Hindus take delight in, was Rama right in doing this to Sita? What was Krishna right in um, encouraging uh, Arjuna to kill Karna. Debatable. Because in life, once, once your philosophy comes in contact with life, um, it's complex. So, 
uh, unless one is con- continuously in samadhi once one is in aware of the vyavaharika jagat each jivan mukta each teacher will be slightly different from the other there will be differences because of their background yeah it would have been problematic if shankaracharya had said and you held on to that no if he had said for example to the chandala that you are whatever it is in my philosophy you don't have to bother about that brahman is brahman but at this level you are a chandala i am a although he is not even a brahmin because he is already sanyasi um, i am from a brahmin background and you are from a lower caste and you know you have to step aside from me and this is the meaning of advaita then i would really doubt whether this person is enlightened or not that's a wrong interpretation an enlightened person will never say such things yeah. thank you okay. all right um let us quickly now take a look at the verses um if there are other questions just hold on to that let me read the verses we have not read a single verse yet but actually don't worry we have done quite a bit we have we have the arguments which i presented at the beginning what is the law of karma and what is step by step god apada how he attacks it we will see now uh, this is what he does it's just presented in a, a lot of not in an organized way that's why i pre- i said all this at the beginning all right so verse number 14 I'll just read out the verses and the translations. Heto radi phalam yesham adi heto phalasya cha heto phalasya cha nadi katham tai rupa varnyate How can beginninglessness be declared for cause and effect by those philosophers according to whom the effect is the origin of the cause and the cause is the origin of the effect so beginningless means remember what is what is being discussed here everybody tries to say that there is one ultimate cause of this universe that actually there is a universe and the universe is actually originated and there is some cause of this universe that's what different philosophers are trying to say uh, whether it's nayaika or sankhya or whoever and godapada is against that so he says beginninglessness means one first cause cause which has no beginning itself that means cause which has no cause itself cause without a cause causeless cause how can it be there for those people who say that um, karma gives rise to the body and body gives rise to karma that's what he has mentioned here for whom the cause is giving rise to the effect and effect is giving rise to the cause this is the discussion which we had the big at the beginning so what is first Uh, is it the karma is at the beginning or is is body at the beginning which is which which is first you cannot answer that then number 15 heto radi phalam yesham adir hetu phalasya cha tatha janma bhavet tesham putra janma pitur yatha just as a father may be born of a son so also may birth be a possibility according to these philosophers who admit that effect is the source of the cause and cause is the source of the effect this is that argument which came later on that no they mutually produce each other he says this is ridiculous it's godapada says it's like saying yes father produced a son and now you're saying son also produced the father how is that possible because remember it's not possible because the effect comes after the cause 
and if the effect is to produce the cause, if the effect is also a cause, then it has to come before the cause. To produce something, you must exist before it. How can the effect produce the cause? How can the son produce the father? The son has been produced by the father, we understand. But the opposite is not possible. And he says, yet this is what happens when you talk about karma. Um, karma leading to body and body leading to karma. Number 16. Sambhavehe tu phalayor eshitavya kramastvaya yuga patsambhave yasmat asambandho vishanavat a sequence has to be found out by you. You have to tell us what is the sequence in the births of cause and effect. For should they originate together, there can be no causal relation as between the two horns of a cow. So remember, this was the option. Somebody said, no, no, they are not producing each other. Just imagine they all started together. Cause and effect. Everything started together. Maybe say, let's God started. I gave the example of a father gave a business to the son. Um, you know, the shop is also given plus some amount of money is given and you start off. So, didn't, it could be that God gave us a body and uh, also some karma and we start up the business of samsara. No, that's also not possible. Then you will have to, uh, two problems will be there. One is then God will be responsible for all the partialities and everything. Here he does not talk about God. He says, if they, are, if they start together, then there can be no relation of cause and effect. And after all, isn't it your own theory of karma that karma produces the body and body produces karma? This cause and effect relationship is what you are trying to tell me. And now you are saying both start together. And how is there cause and effect? Then number 17. So these are things we have discussed. Just the Sanskrit is a little archaic. So it, if you go through it verse by verse like this, then it becomes confusing. Number 17. So, if the cause has to come out of an effect, you can't recognize such a, um, such a cause because um, the effect cannot produce the cause. Effect did not exist before the cause. How can such a cause, which is not established as such, Produce and uh, produce a result. So this is the illogicality of uh, law of karma. See, when you are saying cause and effect, think in your mind uh, karma and body. Karma and body. He is using the terms hetu. Hetu means cause or uh, it means karma. And phala, phala means result. It means effect. It means body. Now he sums up what is going on. Number 18. Yadi hetu phalat siddhi phala siddhischa hetu tah katarat purva nishpannam yasya siddhi rapekshaya. If the existence of the cause is dependent on the effect, think in this way. If the existence of karma is dependent on body, and the existence of the effect is dependent on the cause. Existence of the body is dependent on, on the karma. Then which of the two has existence earlier? With relation to which the other may emerge. So this is the same problem. You cannot have a sequence if one depends on the other. 
And without a sequence, there is no causality. So what is the net result? Number 19, he says that you are unable to explain causality or unable to explain law of karma. Ashakti parijyanam krama kopothavapuna evam hi sarvatha buddhair ajati paridipita. Your inability to answer this means uh, it amounts to your ignorance or else there is the falsification of the sequence asserted by you. Thus indeed is highlighted in every way the absence of origination by the learned ones. So you see what is meant by this verse. Ashakti parijyanam. Either you are unable to explain karma as we have seen this whole argument every at every step there is a uh, illogicality you are unable to explain it to our satisfaction how does karma work how did it start uh, which is first which is next what do you mean by beginninglessness uh, none of this you are able to explain and if you try to explain krama kopo athavapuna the word krama kopa means anger krama means sequence so it's not that the sequence is angry it just means um, there is illogicality or there is inconsistency of sequence. Krama means sequence. So, uh, as was explained earlier, you cannot justify the sequence. Cause must always come before effect and yet uh, you cannot show that. So, either you keep quiet, ashakti, you are unable to explain, in which case you are ignorant. If you open your mouth to explain it, you are falling into illogical, which is inconsistencies. You can, kramakopa, kramakopa means inconsistency or um, the illogicality of sequence. So either, either you say something and in your, you are in trouble, open your mouth and reveal your foolishness or keep quiet and accept that you are unable to explain karma. Evam hi sarvatha, so in, in all ways, by all these buddhai, by the moment he uses these words, immediately modern scholars will jump and say, see, Buddha, he has used the word Buddha, so he must be a Buddhist. But in this case, um, Buddha here, Shankaracharya explains the Vadibhi by the debaters, by the philosophers. Which philosophers? Nayaika, Sankhyas, the various dualistic schools who talk about karma. So these are the Buddhas. The, the, um, so basically, his it might be slightly sarcastic. Here, Buddha means Buddhu actually for, for, for Godapada. Uh, by the these learned, Shankaracharya comments, Panditehi, by the great pandits, by the great scholars and debaters who have these positions on karma, they are unable to explain. So, this is verse number 19. 20, let me just do that and we'll stop here and I'll take some more questions. 20 is a common sense thing, you know, like suppose this person who's talking about karma, they make one last attempt. Look, it's not difficult. Why are you making such a big fuss of this? Bijan Kuravat. Let me read the verse. Bijan Kurakya Drishtanta Sada Sadhya Samohisa Nahi sadhya samohetu siddho sadhyasya yujyate. What is known by the illustration of the seed and sprout is ever on an equal footing with the unproved major term. For an illustration that is as unproved as the major term is not applied for establishing the relationship of the major term with the minor term. Now you might think what's going on here. Uh, it's very simple actually. Uh, it just means 
that the opponent comes up with this example. Look, it's all very simple. Why are you making such a big fuss? Like a, like a seed and a sprout. There's a seed and it sprouts in a sapling. I remember when we used to do biology classes as kids, we, we had to germinate. We had to do a project on the germination of the seed. And uh, we had to germinate a seed. I think we had to keep it in cloth and then the, the sapling would come out, seedling. Then we had to take it to class and show it to the teacher and draw it and all those things. So just imagine that example. Seed produces the uh, plant and plant produces the seed and then the seed produces the plant and this goes on. This chain is there in the world and just use that example. The world karma is like that. Karma is like the seed and our birth body mind is like the plant and that leads to further seed which leads to further body and mind and this is samsara. This is what we are going through. The example of the seed and the sprout, seed and plant is used to explain karma here. Gaurapada says, no, won't do. Why? Because all the objections which I said, sadhya sama, what sadhya means what you want to prove. What do you want to prove? Karma, law of karma. What are you using? Seed and plant example. Whatever is the problem with the law of karma which I have pointed out till now, all those problems are there with your example. Which is first, seed or plant? You can't say. The same problem, is seed first? You can't say that. Where did the seed come from? Is plant first? You can't say. Where did the plant come from? Are seed and plant simultaneous? Impossible. Then how can seed produce the plant? See, both seed and plant are there. Then how can one produce the other? If you say the other, other option, mutually producing, seed produces plant, plant produces seed, <laughs> that is impossible. That same seed uh, cannot produce a plant which will produce the same seed again. Impossible because the cause has to come before the effect. The same things which we discussed earlier. Then if you say, no, it is a chain, then the same problem will come, which is at the beginning of the chain, seed or plant, what is the first link of the chain? Then you will say it is endless chain. Then endless chain, I will uh, ask that uh, endless, what is endless? Is the seed endless or is the plant endless or is the chain endless? The same doubts which I had raised about law of karma equally applies to seed and plant. Because you see, what I am attacking here, Gaurapada says, is not just your law of karma, it's causality itself. Cause and effect itself is being attacked. Any example of cause and effect you give will have the same problems. So he says, an example which has the same faults, you cannot use it to prove what you want to prove. Seed and plant example has the same fault of, as law of karma. Nahi sadhya samahetu siddhau sadhyasya yujyate. You cannot use it. Um, yes. Should we proceed or let's just take a look at what people are thinking. Everybody getting headache, they're looking, I'm seeing scowls and annoyed looks at what is going on here. All right, let's see. Is there anybody? Yes, my question is that, I have two questions, but depending on the time, I'll, I'll postpone the second one. The first question that I have is, I'm trying to make a difference between appearance and creation. Huh. Now, in, in the case of appearance, if the rope wasn't there, the snake won't appear. Correct. Isn't rope also rope in padana, karanamar? Isn't that isn't some kind of a cause and effect going on because of the rope is there? Yes. And so, what is the real difference between appearance and creation? Yes, the real difference is is reality. Uh, is there any substantial change in um, in in reality? 
Gaudapada says substantial change cannot be explained. The world transforming its, uh, the, uh, Brahman transforming itself into the world, that cannot be explained. In fact, any kind of cause and effect, real cause and effect cannot be explained. But that does not rule out an appearance, um, Maya. Now, Maya, will you say, is Maya a cause? No. Maya is also not ultimately a cause because Maya is not real. Uh, Maya, the very word Maya means Ya Ma. That means that which is not. Ma means not. So, that which is not is Maya. <laughs> um, in Vedanta, Maya is defined as Sad Asad Manirvachanya. Not ultimately real, not totally unreal. Not ultimately real because after enlightenment, you see there is no, no Maya, no, nothing to explain. But not ultimately unreal also because it causes the or it, it, it is the um, reason why we have all these appearances. That this world, you cannot deny that you are seeing this world. If you want why we are seeing this world, Maya. Maya is another name for ignorance. Ignorance is not causation. Ignorance is not reality. There is something, so uh, when in the world actually a seed becomes a plant and by mistake you see the rope as a snake, the two are not the same. Uh, in one case, there is, we, we normally apply causation. There is a cause and there is an effect, something is going on. In the other case, we just say, oh, nothing happened. It's just a mistake. That's what Godapada wants to say. Nothing happened. It's just a mistake. Bradley, the, the um, late 19th, early 20th century philosopher in Cambridge, uh, Oxford, Cambridge, I think. Uh, he said, uh, appearance, what appears is not real and the reality never appears. So, I like that saying. So, this whole universe appears and according to Gaurapada, it's not real. And the reality never appears. It's never an object of experience. It is the reality underlying all experience. Can I ask the second question? Yes. Uh, so, in the Aparakshana Hiti, you spend a lot of time on causality and karma and all, all that stuff. And there it was explained because space-time and causation was part of Maya. Now, we are also told that Maya's constituents are Sattva, Raja and, and Tamas. Yes. So, is somehow, how is causality produced from Sattva, Raja and Tamas, the three gunas? Uh, yeah. So, Maya, uh, because Sattva, Rajas and Tamas are constituents of Maya, uh, remember, Gaudapada will have none of it. He is not interested. We are interested uh, because we want to understand this world. So, one way was the Sankhyan cosmology where Prakriti is the creator of the world and Prakriti is made of Sattva Rajas Tamas. So, the material of this universe is Sattva Rajas Tamas. And what happens is Sattva Rajas Tamas are ever-changing constituents of Prakriti because Prakriti is always in and like a what you might call an unstable equilibrium. Sometimes it goes into equilibrium and sometimes equilibrium is dis disturbed. So, this is all there in Sankhya philosophy. So, their idea is that there is the original cause Prakriti is in unstable equilibrium. When it is in equilibrium, there is no creation. It is just Prakriti remaining. But when the equilibrium is disturbed uh, because of the continuous change of Sattva, Rajas and Tamas, then the entirety of this universe emerges with an imbalance of Sattva, Rajas and Tamas. Some things have more Sattva, less Rajas and Tamas and so on. This is how Prakriti becomes a cause. And according to the Sankhyans, the Prakriti is a cause. What kind of cause? They, they believe in Satkarya Vada. The entire universe pre-existed in Prakriti 
and is now projected out because of the changes in prakriti prakriti changes prakriti parinama vada prakriti changes all of that advaita actually accepts it except it says prakriti is not real it's like if you say yes yes i accept um, harry potter suffered so much and all those things happened in harry potter's life all those things i accept only one thing is that harry potter and all their events are false they are all cinema fiction that's what advaita adds which is not what sankhya sankhya says that is the reality this is the universe which is going on uh-huh. um yes uh, anybody else no so those of you have asked the question uh can lower the hand yeah so swamiji godapada has dismissed the philosophy of yoga and sankhya yes. but in advait vedanta has borrowed the meditation techniques from yoga and borrowed the idea of pure consciousness from sankhya so godapada has just dismissed certain points of those philosophies only true and accepted others it ex- uh, godapada dismisses here causality cause and effect the sankhyan satkaryavada godapada has dismissed and also the nyaya asatkaryavada and the other aspects of sankhya which godapada dismisses uh, for example that there are many purushas many pure consciousnesses no, there is only one and uh, the other aspect of sankhya which he dismisses is the reality of prakriti the world is real godapada dismisses that um in the brahma sutras there is a statement etena yoga pratyuktaha by this dismissal of sankhya philosophy the philosophy of yoga is also dismissed shankaracharya says but though the the philosophy is dismissed the techniques are welcome if at the level of sadhana you want to calm down your mind you have already accepted world is there i have a body my mind is disturbed then very good medicine for you is prescribed by patanjali not patanjali ramdev that is different <laughs> modern patanjali uh, the patanjali yoga sutras so patanjali yoga sutra prescribes the medicine for the mind um and that is no doubt at the only godapada will say that's at the transactional level at the level of appearance you want calm mind you don't want restless mind very good ultimately you want to, do you want to know what is the reality come to me if you want to know how to come down calm down the mind go to patanjali he is the expert on this the specialist yeah see these yeah uh, did girish want to ask something yes. uh swamiji yeah. i just want to ask an earlier question differently because i need some clarification and to use your view from everest analogy Can you can you climb to the top of Everest without requiring the oxygen of meditation or yoga? I mean, can you can you engage in study and dialectics and argue and debate your way to to realization without requiring the scaffolding if you would of yeah. yoga? Yeah. It it that's a good analogy. Uh so the answer would depend on where you are. If you are in base camp, you need one kind of support. You need guides, sherpas, you need supplies um if you are far above just a few steps away from the top 
you probably need oxygen. Um, and if you're at the top, you don't need any of it. You're already there where you want it to be. Um, so sort of roughly if you use that analogy, yes. Remember, it's a journey. So in that case, all of these things are necessary. But the analogy also has its limits. Because remember what Gaudapada is trying to say. says that you are permanently at the top of uh, Everest. This is the ultimate truth. We are trying to show you what it is ultimately. Because if you, in spiritual life or in philosophy, you, um, journey is fine. But you would like to know, you'd like to have a statement of what is it that finally you are trying to say. Um, you say this is the lower truth and you understand this. Now you go a little higher, now you go light. But what is it at the final level? Tell me as far as possible in language, logic, philosophy you can, you can go. Just paint for me a picture of what is it that you propound. What is your view, world view basically. So this is Godapada's world view. Um, the view from Everest. Yeah. Thank you. Anybody else? Let me do. Yes. You mentioned about Ashwatra, and I just wanted to understand that what does it bring in something additional to what we have been talking about now? I mentioned. Our understanding. Ashtavakra. Ashtavakra. Yes. Oh. I said that this is the view from the Everest and there's only one thing beyond this, that is Ashtavakra. And beyond Ashtavakra, only silence. So now let's see, what is remaining in Ashtavakra? Nothing. And Ashtavakra, what you get is a statement of this truth. And that's it. Only a statement of the truth, a hundred times, again and again and again, in 18 chapters, um, going on and again, repeating the same thing again and again. At least in Gaudapada, you get... Um, Argument, though very sophisticated and subtle, you get arguments. Ashtavakra, there is no argument. Ashtavakra is just Siddhanta, the ultimate conclusion stated over and over again. What is the point of that then? Why, why do that? That is useful for Nididhyasana. Once you have learnt Vedanta, Dvaita Vedanta, once you have gone through all sorts of subtle arguments, clarification, once it is very clear to you, you would like to stay there. So, Ashtavakra keeps you there. It's just um, sort of a luminous statement and restatement of the highest truth again and again and again. There is no attempt at any argumentation, no attempt at stories, no attempt at... Ex um, there are many examples, but it's not trying to teach you anything. It's just pointing out your real nature um, continuously. Somebody called it a grand monotony. <laughs> grand monotony. Notice that as Turiya you are always there, you don't have to make any effort to stay as Turiya because that's what you already are. But it's the mind which plays tricks. The mind will tell you, I had it, now I have lost it. I was clear, now I am not so clear. Yes, I am Brahman, but coronavirus is creating a problem. Brahman has no problem, with, already you are back at the level of body and mind. That is only when coronavirus can create a problem. Yeah. Um, I am Brahman, I am Turiya, but I am worried about my green card. So, now again I am back at the level of body and mind in USA. So, space, time, causation, Sarva Priyananda, applying for um, visa status in US, 
it's already body mind you're back back again this thing continuously happens to us uh, because uh, uh, as long as you are not a jivan mukta so a practice of nididhyasana is very good to stay with it nididhyasana is is very good before becoming a jivan mukta um be- because you feel you have understood it you are completely convinced yet you feel you are not getting the result of advaita vedanta you should get peace there should be no more complaining i always say if you are enlightened then there is one problem you have lost the right to grumble you have lost the right to complain anymore if you are enlightened there should be no complain about anything you should be perfectly happy i mean you should be okay with everything uh, as long as we don't have that nididhyasana is necessary you must stay there and see from how from that view of the everest these problems do not matter you should be able to resolve it in fact every time there is a problem that problem is the occasion for nididhyasana and take the view from the everest and see that the problem is no problem that's before becoming a jivan mukta even after becoming jivan mukta um the enlightened being stays in two states basically from our perspective one is aware of us and interacting with us this is called vyuthana vyuthana means arising and the uh, other state is samadhista absorbed in nirvikalpa samadhi in the featureless brahman absolute that you would see in the life of sri ramakrishna for example uh, krishna also arjuna asks this question to krishna in the second chapter please tell me the characteristics of the sthita pragya of the jivan mukta the enlightened person who is in samadhi what is he like when he is in samadhi and what is this person like when he is talking walking moving around that is vyuthana so that means even in jivan mukta that nididhyasana is still followed totapuri sri ramakrishna's guru advaita guru was very regular about his meditation and once sri ramakrishna asked him but you are an enlightened being what are you meditating for you've already realized totapuri showed his he had a brass pot which he would carry around as a sanyasi and he said look how shiny it is he said yes but it's shiny because daily brass has to be polished so daily i polish this then it remains shiny otherwise it's still brass but it will look it'll get a layer you know it'll look uh, dull similarly meditation that means being centered in that that you know stay with that view from the everest every day Uh, that keeps the realization fresh even then if you do not do it you're still enlightened but a layer of samsara will fall on you uh, sadhus in uttarakhand they use different ways of explaining this even after enlightenment they, they say that the mongoose fights with the cobra and this is the story they have and the cobra sometimes may be able to bite the mongoose and put its poison in the mongoose what the mongoose does is it runs off into the forest and um, this jadi bhuti they say there is some herbs are there which the only the mongoose knows and if you chew on that herb uh, the poison of the cobra goes down it it it, um, uh, it is mitigated they say that i don't know how true it is so mongoose apparently runs off into the forest and chews that herb and comes back and again fights with with uh, the cobra similarly when you are dealing with maya uh, sometimes the poison of maya will enter into your system bitterness anger grief puzzlement bewilderment frustration it may come into you even if you think you are a gyani so you have to rush off and chew on the the jadi buti the herb of turiya of brahman that i am brahman take the view from the everest come back again there is no problem the problem is solved that's one example they give those sri ramakrishna had a nice reply to that he said yes but if the pot is a gold pot 
you don't have to polish it every day. <laughs> yes. Thank you, sir. All right then. Let's end the class here. We'll take it up uh, in the next class. I hope this is. Is it too much or is it enjoyable? I don't know. I am having a good time, uh, enjoying uh, the journey with Gaudapada. <laughs> yeah, stay with it. Yeah. My idea was, let's start at the top. Mandukya Upanishad, Mandukya Karika. Let's start there, finish that. Then we will go down from the Everest and enjoy the valleys of you know Darjeeling and others. We will read Katha Upanishad, Mundaka Upanishad. All those will be nice, enjoyable, and you will find it. Oh, it's easy. I have already read the Mandukya. So this is. Uh, relaxation. So we will do those things later on after completing the Mandukya. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu.